Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We are a couple of missionaries at Acts 29, and this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. Mary, how are you? We're in this season of transformation, Father John. We are. In Jesus, those 50 I thought Easter was a day. Easter. It's not a day? Not if you're Catholic. Oh, not if that. you're Catholic. It's not 50, even just an octave. 50 great, glorious days to, to celebrate. give thanks and to worship God, which is a perfect topic for us uh, today. And we it have is. a couple of very special guests, don't we? We do. We've got two dear, they're not just guests, they're dear friends and brothers in the Lord. We are so happy to have Aaron Richards and and Joseph Schleter with Damascus Worship with us today. Y'all have just become so much a part of our hearts. And we just want to thank you for carving out time to be with us. Brothers, how are you doing? Very good. Hi, Mary. Hi, Father. So excited. I always say there's no greater love than collaboration between the states of Michigan and Ohio. It's just <laughs> an true. unbelievable sign that Jesus is Lord and that he's risen from That's the dead. Right. Healing is happening along the Healing borders of our state. Healing is cities. happening. I've been told, Father, that it's a bigger sacrifice for the Ohioans than it is the, the Michiganders. Is that real? Oh, wow. I think the connection's breaking Ooh. out right now. And we're going to have to... <laughs> Guys, it was great being with you. Bye-bye. <laughs> what, uh, what is our topic, Mary? Because it's perfect for uh, Aaron and for Joseph. Indeed. So uh, the topic of our conversation today is why worship? My worship. Yeah, we look forward to busting this open with you guys. We We have greatly enjoyed collaborating with you and... I have just been admirers of the work that you guys do and uh, look forward to continuing to have opportunities to serve Jesus together uh, in the future. How about we pray first yeah. and then we can bust open a conversation, shall we? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we just thank you for these days that we're in this extraordinary time of grace and festivity and celebration. We ask for an ongoing outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we would continue to understand uh, the difference that Jesus' death and resurrection make right now in our lives, and maybe especially how it is that we should properly respond. So we just hand this time to you. We ask for the Spirit to bless and to guide our conversation, that it would be both inspiring and informative for ourselves and for all those who are listening. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Hey, you know, before anything, guys, you want to say something about your work and your ministry? I just love for people to continue to get familiar with you and the unbelievable things that are going on uh, through you at Damascus. Absolutely. Thank you, Father. Yeah, so I work as the executive director here at Damascus. We are an organization in central Ohio right now, although we've got some satellites both in uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin and and Michigan coming up this year. Um, we are a young adult missionary movement and our primary apostolate is the service of the young church through high adventure activities, high adventure camps, retreats, and conferences here on our campus. We, uh, our, our mission is to awaken, empower, and equip a generation to live the adventure of the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we've seen that one of the best and most effective ways of doing that is through retreats and conferences. So we're gearing up for summer camp. That's sort of our flagship here at Damascus this summer, we will have north of 7,000 campers who will come into a radical encounter of relationship with Jesus through, wow. through the ministries of Damascus. And uh, 
this is all made possible through a, a, a missionary movement, like I said, here on, on this campus and now also around the country. So we have uh, coming in on 130 full-time missionaries who are who've answered this call to service at the church through the work at Damascus. And we, I, I'm proud to be among their ranks every day. Joseph's been with us for the last almost five, five years. years. Yeah. Coming into six. And um, Joseph is the the director of Damascus worship, which has been a part of sort of a different expression of what the Lord was initially doing here at Damascus. And one that we've, we, we've, continued to hit the accelerator on. I have a little saying that when you see the favor of God on something, you've got to pour gas on that fire. So, mm. uh, we've, we've been, we've been really intentionally doing that here at Damascus. Joseph, you want to say anything else? Yeah. I mean, Damascus is, it changed my life as a camper and then it's changed my life being part of the ministry itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm just, I love being able then to kind of pioneer what worship looks like here at Damascus and how we're able to take what the Lord's doing here in a real tangible way in our um, worship and in our music and um, use it to help bring the rest of the world, the rest of the church into deeper relationship, understanding and intimacy with the Lord. So I, there's probably, you know, one or two families who have kids that find church to be kind of boring or Jesus to be less than an adventure. Everybody else is just thriving with their kids. So for those one or two people who have kids in those situations, they're, only in sure Michigan. Right now, they're probably in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. Right on. But they're also probably going, wait a minute, who are these guys and where do I find them? So how do they get access to you? What's the best way for them to find out what's going on in Damascus and how long a waiting list do you have to get in? Because I love the fact that someone just heard 7,000 kids are going to have a radical encounter this summer with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The best place to find us is damascus.net. That's our website. If you look for Catholic Youth Summer Camp, um, that, that'll take you to the website as well on Google. Uh, our, our social media accounts are actually some of the best ways to find us also. Our media staff, our media team here at Damascus, they are, they're capturing the heart of the gospel and communicating it in a way that will, uh, it'll push you off the fence. So yeah, yeah, if, if, there's, um, if there's anybody who's interested in Catholic Youth Summer Camp or Damascus, uh, damascus.net. I think we still have open spots in Michigan. We do. We do. Uh, we have. What, we have why open... all the like shade on Michigan? What's up with that? Just, no, 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 that was that was me encouraging Michigan. I was, oh, okay. I, you, you asked about you asked about what the wait list waiting was. Waiting list. I, yeah. I think we still have open spots there. Yeah, he's okay. going to have to watch himself a little bit today. He was on a he was on a nasty Michigan kick a couple weeks ago. So <laughs> uh, we do. We have we have open spots actually at all three locations uh, here in Columbus. Uh, our last session still has some availability, and in our Northwoods campus and our Great Lakes campus in Michigan. We've got we've got some availability throughout the summer. And where are the locations in Michigan? Brighton, uh, oh, right, beautiful. right in downtown Brighton. We're we're in partnership with a beautiful uh, or organization there called Our Lady of the Fields. It's a Chaldean owned campsite. Oh yeah, right, Brighton, sure, right in Brighton. Awesome. Okay, fantastic. Oh, that's great. I I know we had a set of families with kids from uh, the parish where I was. Uh, fortunate to serve recently and they came back just so transformed when you see you know middle school kids coming back in love with jesus and some of the videos that you guys 
have had, I haven't seen some of the most recent testimonials, but I remember watching one two years ago thinking, man, if I had a kid, I would mail him to you uh, <laughs> to spend the summer with you to like, whatever's going on down there, like you got to taste some of that because it was really transformative yeah. for them. Praise be it's, Jesus. It's pretty remarkable. We So one of the one of the business principles that we operate by says you will uh, you'll pay attention to what you measure, right? That that will that'll keep you focused on on the, the things that the things that you measure are the things that you'll improve. And at our at our weekly meetings, we measure the miraculous encounters that kids have had with the Lord. Uh, mm-hmm. And this this past couple of weeks, we've had a, a list that our program director has brought to us. This past week, it was 103 for the for the previous week. And we, we challenged him. We said, Ben, you got to tone this down. We've, uh, you know, there's, there must be something wrong with, with the measurement that you're using. And he said, yeah, I thought that too. And then I went and started reading the testimonies and they're all legitimate. Like these are kids who are having radical life, life transforming encounters with, with the Holy spirit, some experiencing, you know, deep, uh, powerful conversion, some hearing his voice for the first time, some even, experiencing miracles of healing through, through the prayer of their, of their brothers and sisters. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable what, what's, what the Lord's doing in the church. And these are what ages? Uh, Last week was seventh grade. Seventh grade. (laughs) Yeah. Not exactly a prime time when most kids are falling in love with Jesus. You know, in most places. My my heart is swelling as I'm hearing this because it's so easy to get discouraged right now in the church. But I think, you guys travel all over the country, much like we do, and we're seeing uh, the movement of the spirit in 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 very uh, visible ways. This is just another testimony to what the spirit is doing. The spirit has not left us orphaned. The spirit yeah. is on the move, and and in a particular way, this is that generation that we need to capture. Like I am so deeply encouraged, and I pray that those who are listening are as encouraged and as inspired as we are, keep on doing what you guys are doing. So needed. Thank you so much. Yeah. Amen. That leads right actually into the topic because the rightful response to, you know, we're here, we are in the Easter season and to the, you know, the destruction of the power of sin and death and the binding of the strong man and the defeat of the kingdom of hell, um, which is what you're seeing in these kids, right? You're seeing the Lord like reclaim what's properly his, uh, who the enemies tried to take. And, what, what we want to render to God rightly as a result of that is worship and praise and adoration and thanksgiving. And, you know, we, we were fortunate enough when we did some work with you uh, guys that we did, we did a live event down in Columbus, which was a blast. We did, uh, you guys were up here in Michigan for uh, when we filmed the rescue project and then no, when we, uh, filmed, or, the when we filmed the equipping thing. rather. Yeah. And uh, we, we did a little interview then. So some of this, uh, I know we have available in a in a video format, but I want to repeat some of the things just because I don't think we can talk about this enough. And I think it's, for Catholics, I think it's such a misunderstood topic. And so I just want to throw to you, like, from your perspective, like, what is worship? Yeah, it's it's a great question. We we oftentimes start a lot of our teachings with that because I think there's, there's, an, um, there's always thoughts and understandings and nuances. And, you know, you could really go, go in forever about all the different nuances in it. But I think at its essence, worship is sacrifice. Um, it's why the mass is the highest form of worship because it's the highest form of sacrifice. Um, you you see, 
you know, the, the, the sacrifice that, that Jesus made the sacrifice that we all make that that's all incorporated into it. But when we talk about worship in, in the musical setting, um, it's lifting our voices, lifting our bodies, lifting our hearts as sacrifice to the Lord. Um, and the cool thing about worship is it's not a moment. It's, it's a lifestyle we're called to. So I can worship at every moment in the day by making everything I do a sacrifice unto the Lord. The first time worship is mentioned in scripture is Abraham going up to sacrifice Isaac. He says, we're going to go up to the altar or we're going to go up the mountain to sacrifice or to worship is what he says. And it's, it's in the context of sacrifice. So I think worship is at its essence. It's a sacrifice to the Lord um, of our hearts, of our time, of our gifts, of who we are. So I'm intrigued by that because I, I remember hearing you say that before. And so we, we think sacrifice and most people, or they hear sacrifice and they think pain, <laughs> which is probably how a lot of people think of uh, Catholic music. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's what I would say. It's, it's very sacrificial. It's a sacrifice. <laughs> you know, this is very painful, but that, that's not what sacrifice means. Sacrifice means to make holy, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, I, I love thinking about that. And so you can worship all throughout the day because you can do everything that you do in such a way that it's transformed and it becomes a something which is offering to the Lord, right? Our yeah. very lives, I mean, from our very lives uh, should be given over to that heart, mind, body, and soul. I just don't know that we have that mindset. Yeah. I mean, like that's new for us. I mean, so, um, or I'm going to say that that's new for many of us to, to hear it described in, Certainly the, in the Catholic church. In the yeah. Catholic church. Right. It's interesting too. A lot of times we, we make the connection between, between deep and meaningful music, as you're saying, father and, and non-Catholic experience. Right. I mean, when you speak about worship, no, no one, especially Catholic is going to deny the validity or the, or the necessity of that word. Why? Because, because the mass is often recognized rightly. So as the, as the high point of, of worship, but we do see in scripture that both in the old Testament and the new, that there's this connection that's made between, and you, you use both words between worship, between sacrifice and praise. And, and the praise that we see exemplified in scripture isn't, uh, it, it's, it's, well, it is specifically uh, the praise, a praise with music, praise with song, right? We go often and we see the, the first example of this, which happened in the Old Testament, the, the very first experience where the sacrifice, where, where liturgical prayer was connected with music was in the experience of David in the Old Testament when he hired uh, 4,000 musicians to, to worship the Lord with music and song around the clock, right? That he, he had a full-time worship staff because he, uh, you know, the Lord revealed to him in his prayer that this was, this was the way that he wanted the ark to be honored. And in uh, the New Testament as well, we see in Hebrews chapter 13 that, that there's this connection of the sacrifice of praise, that sacrifice and praise, worship and praise are, uh, they, uh, you know, we use, we use the terminology praise and worship, right? Mm -hmm. that, that actually comes from scripture, mm -hmm. uh, that, that our, our musical expression of this sacrifice of, sacrifice of worship is, is something that's inspired. So let's keep busting this open if we can, because um, I want to bore into something and I'll, I'll ask the question. This, this is the part where we, you try to guess what's in my mind <laughs> and then I'll fill it in later. But I, um, 
from your perspective, why is it that worship is such an essential dimension or component of the life of a disciple? Yeah, I love this. Um, I think two things. One, we are made to worship. So at every moment of our lives, we're worshiping something or someone. Um, the proper response is to obviously turn that towards, towards the Lord. But oftentimes we see in our world today, we worship pleasure, we worship comfort, we worship the opinions of others. At every moment of our lives, you could identify if you're self-reflecting what we're, what we're worshiping. There's always something. And again, it's our call to, to bring that unto the Lord. I also love um, uh, people asking, you know, why worship? Why do we worship? What's the point? And at its essence, it's because God asks of it, us of it. It asks it of us that he... Mm-hmm asks our worship all throughout scripture, all throughout the Psalms, all throughout, you know, the entirety of the Bible, he's asking us of our worship. And I love, there's this story that I use a hundred times, um, is this, this guy who's giving this talk about worship. And he was talking about how his wife, um, loves avocado toast. It's her absolute favorite, uh, food of all time. She thinks it's the greatest ever. And he can't stand it. Like absolutely doesn't like it at all. Doesn't know why anyone would like it for whatever reason. And he's like, but you bet, you best bet that when she wants avocado toast on her birthday, on any day, whatever, he's like, I'm going to give it to her because I love her. And worship is something the Lord asks of us. We may get it and love it. We may not get it and not like it. We may not understand it, but it's what the Lord asks of us that when he designed eternity, when he designed how he was going to be loved for the rest of ever, he had it in the context of worship that forever and ever and ever God's like, all right. This is how I'm going to be loved for eternity. And it's going to be people worshiping me. That to me shows that there's something valuable in worship and and the reason why we, we should give it to him because it's not only what he desires, but also in the process, it it transforms us because it takes our eyes off ourselves. It takes our, um, it it purifies us even in that process of giving him a gift. So there's gotta be somebody who's thinking right now, because I would, if I was young, but even there's a part of me in my own, Maybe this is just my own deformed way of thinking. So, okay. So God asks of the, asks this of us. Is that because like God's some sort of egomaniac and he's greedy for adulation? <laughs> like why in the world would God ask this of us? I, I love, I love this question. I, I like to actually provoke people when I speak to them. I'll say, so what's, what's the one thing that God loves most? And the one thing that God loves most is himself. That, the definition of Trinity is the fact that that God is an eternal exchange of love. There's there's no there's no distracting the the eye of of God from God. So the invitation that we have, therefore, that we might actually engage in that eternal exchange of love, isn't that God would become distracted, but that we could actually enter in. Mm-hmm. So worship is worship is truly at its core. It's a, it's an invitation into understanding what it's like to experience Trinitarian love. It, it's awkward. It's strange to to stand in a room and to uh, exhaust yourself singing praise and adoration to somebody, right? But that is that's the definition of Trinitarian love. That that the Father, the Son, the Spirit they they pour themselves out for the other. Uh, with full expectation of uh, of being received and reciprocated, right? And and not not counting the cost, not counting the minutes, uh, but knowing that this is truly how I can exist in the most perfect way. And and worship really is is giving worth to something. So mm-hmm. 
when we when we are willing to sacrifice, we're willing to give worth, right? Um, and as we know, God is worth everything. He's worth our praise. He's worth our thanksgiving. He's worth our worship. And sometimes we 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 sing from that place of like, wow, God, you are so good to me. You've been so faithful, and it's so easy for me to thank you. Other times we kind of sing to to allow our hearts to align yes. with the truth that in that moment, it's really hard to believe. You know, there's a really simple worship song and the chorus is just, you are good, you are good. Oh, oh, <laughs> like nothing, nothing groundbreaking there in terms of lyrics, but it's this beautiful thing. And sometimes you sing that because you believe it. And sometimes you sing it till you believe it and until you can recall how good he really is until you can really see it. And so it's, as, it's, it's for him, it's a gift unto mm-hmm. him and in the process. And again, it refines our hearts and that allows us to, come in alignment with the truth of who he is. So this is just such a great conversation and my mind's going a hundred miles an hour, but I'm thinking about the culture that we live in today, which is mm-hmm. steeped in idol worship. It's there. We're all tempted. We're all tempted to um, idolize something. If we don't know the Lord, mm-hmm. the temptation yeah. is great, especially among, well, among all of us, right? We, we all struggle. I mean, at the root of all sin is is some some vein of idolatry, and I'm th- as I'm listening to this conversation, I'm thinking about we we know the gospel is healing, but we can also say that worship is healing. I mean, we're giving God what is due Him, but at the same time, we're being healed and freed from those attachments, that idolatry, things that we wouldn't normal normally consider idolatry. Yeah. We can go through a list of things that be that can be considered idolatry, but I'm thinking about as you all, you know, work with the youth and, and and teach them these kinds of things, I would imagine you're seeing remarkable freedom come as a result of that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mary, Mary, you must be reading the catechism because in, uh, in paragraph 2097, <laughs> well, well, you, we all knew it. We you, all knew I it. Wish. <laughs> no. you, you got it on the nose there. Uh, paragraph 2097 says the worship of the one God sets man free from turning mm-hmm. in on himself from the slavery of sin and the idolatry of the world. That it actually, it, it does, it, it shifts it shifts our perspective and it, it rightly orients uh, those, those aspects of us that are drawn to pour ourselves out on another. And um, to answer your question, I guess, uh, in, in our experience, absolutely that's what we see. That, that even before, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use some of the young people who who participate in retreats and conferences here at Damascus, even before they have words to identify what it is that's happening, they're they're drawn to those expressions of worship because I don't know, maybe maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe for the first time ever, that i'm I'm authentically being invited into a place where my senses and my heart are are suddenly aligned in such a way that I'm pouring myself out in the way that I'm designed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you see, go ahead, go ahead, Joseph. Well, I was just gonna say you see this throughout scripture too, right? That worship brings down the walls of Jericho. That worship um brings the the victory in time after time throughout countless different battles. And I, I think that's one of the reasons the enemy is so makes it so uncomfortable to worship because he's terrified of it. You know, he wouldn't he wouldn't make it awkward if he didn't care about it. And, and the fact is he does make it awkward to worship. I think all of us at different moments in our life could probably identify experiences where singing out, where lifting your hands, where whatever it is, is, is a little awkward. And I believe that that's an attack of the enemy over something that is actually incredibly powerful 
because it has the power to free us from the slavery of sin and idolatry mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, so as we've been having this conversation, uh, I have an image in my mind, I'll share it in a second, but I think why I love what you're doing at Damascus, and you nailed it when you said you're leading kids in, into a radical encounter. So I think the place where most people experience worship, most people, uh, is sports. I was going to say Ohio State Buckeyes. It's the it's well, it used to be, but I mean, it's so passe now. So, um, so, um, because so Mary and her husband and I, we were we were in the um, uh, we were in Phoenix over Christmas, and so we went to one of the, you know, the semifinal national championships games. And sports is liturgy. Yeah, I was. I had I mean, the same thought. Like it's really, what it is, right? I mean, there's a there is a every bit as much as the Catholic Mass is structured liturgy. Like a, um, Abbot Jeremy Driscoll says, it's like ritualized play, much like sports are. You can't just like run around outside the sidelines. I mean, that's you know, it's a penalty. Um, so there's there are roles to play within liturgy, and there are roles to play in sports. And everybody understands there's going to be somebody whose task is to like whip the crowd into a frenzy. Everybody's going to come with a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. They paid to get there. Like you don't pay to go to mass, right? These people paid to go to something and really they didn't go to watch. They went to engage and they were, the word I would use is they were worshiping something. They were lending. I mean, they left horse. I don't know anybody who leaves mass horse. Um, they couldn't talk because they were screaming so loud, right? And, and they're engaged in all sorts of bizarre rituals, um, which if you don't understand football, you'd go like, what the, what the heck is going on? They're like, people are painted blue and all sorts of colors and there's a band and there's all these things. But I think everybody who's there who paid, they would say, yeah, but, this is appropriate. This isn't over the top because they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the problem for most people in the church, forget the world. And the reason why I think, in addition to what you were saying, Joseph, about why the enemy comes after, wants to silence us in our worship. I think the the biggest reason why most of us find it to be so awkward is because it just seems a bit over the top. Mm-hmm. And that's because we have met him. Yeah, we don't know him. And the greatest athlete of all time, you know, isn't Michael Jordan. And it's it's not it's not Tiger Woods, and it it's not anybody other than Jesus, because uh, he took on death and won, and sin and won, and Satan and won, and nobody comes close to touching that. But if you don't know that, and if you haven't met him then it's going to seem like just some superfluous thing, which is, it'd be like somebody at a football game going, how can we have to have all this other stuff? Why can't they just play the game and get it over with as fast as possible? Mm-hmm. And let's leave before the game's over, by the way. <laughs> yeah, let's leave. yeah, exactly. Right. Let's leave right after it looks like it's about to get good. Yeah. So that's the first thing that hits me, but I want to press into this because I've always been provoked. I think it was Father Francis Martin who I heard first say this. He was, this was just in the middle of a discussion one time. And he says, you know, the opposite of sin isn't virtue. He says, the opposite of sin is worship. Hmm. And I remember looking at him like, where in the world did you get that? And he says, well, that's Romans. And I go, what do you mean? He says, because Paul says in Romans, although they knew God, although they knew him, 
right? Because God can be known from what is made, regardless of any of the arguments of any of the people who refuse to believe in God. God can be known from what has been made. You can look at the universe and go, this didn't just happen in the same way that you wouldn't walk down the beach one day and see the first chapter of Moby Dick written in the sand and go, oh, wow, look what the waves created. Like you would know somebody wrote that there. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And the result is they became stupid. So you're talking about worship earlier, Joseph, in the sense of like, it, it's something that, that's actually good for us. Uh, you didn't use those lang- those words, but that's how one of the ways I would say it. Like, I need this. I made you, the way you said it was, I made, we're all made to worship. Yeah. And we are. And if I don't give my worship to God, the result is I become darkened and stupid. Yeah. And that's why to me, that, that's one of the reasons why for me, worship is so essential. Like it keeps me from getting blind. Mm. Yeah. Right. The, the result of sin is you become dumb. <laughs> and there's enough illustrations of that in the in my own life, but also in the culture all around. Does that resonate with you with any of you? Yeah, for sure. No, I I think that's so good. And it's it's totally true that when we don't lift our worship to God, we what we it's like, you know, the Egypt or the Israelites after leaving. Um, Egypt and they start worshiping a calf. <laughs> it's like, that's dumb. Like, what are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is the silliest thing. You guys saw God time after time and you're worshiping this now, like makes no sense. But when we don't give our worship to the Lord, we do stupid things. Yeah. And I think like when that, that's what I love about worship is that to me and, and what I've experienced is that it, it allows us to see God more clearly. Because it, again, it takes our eyes off ourselves mm. and um, it opens us up. Again, I'm singing, you are good, you are good. And all of a sudden I begin to see the ways that God really is good. I begin to see his nature more clearly and not just hear about it, but as I'm speaking truth, as my heart is coming into alignment mm. with truth, I begin to see that. I mean, I, I've been in so many times of worship where I'll start singing something and then all of a sudden that faith, right? Faith begins to build in my heart. And as faith begins to build in my heart, I, there's something supernatural. There's a spiritual sensitivity that grows that, well, I have faith that God is good now as, as I'm declaring this and I begin to see that more clearly. And then what happens when I begin to see how good God is more clearly, I'm invited right back into worship again. It's like, wow, you really are good. And all of a sudden I begin to worship even more. And then I begin to see even more clearly. And so I think it's so neat because worship is something that both is a response to who the Lord is right? Like we, we see what he's done. We see who he is and we respond to it. But also sometimes it's, it's the precursor to an encounter with God that mm. would drive our worship that we'll have kids come mm-hmm. in who don't really know the Lord and they're brought into an environment of worship. And in that experience, in that song, in that truth, that's being sung around them, they begin to have an encounter with God that we've had that physical healings happen just in the context of worship. No one's praying over them and, and these people's self-harm scars will completely disappear in the context of worship or, you know, things like that, that the Lord will do. And, and, and then it leads you deeper into worship. So God is just so good that it can be that it can be um, 
that response to him, but also it's that very thing that ushers the response to him as yeah, well. Yeah, you know, what, what, what hits me immediately as you say that is, uh, you know, the Psalms would be like the epitome of worship, at least in the Old Testament, right? It's God's revelation of, it, in, in a strange way, it's like, this is how you should praise me. Yes, yes totally. So God gives us words, right? And and I forget who it is who said this, but they, they use the analogy of, in the same way that a parent has to teach a child how to talk, like you had to teach Elise, like that's, that's a computer. This is a desk. That's a chair. I'm your mom. And in doing so, you're giving her a language and a vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So God um, similarly has to teach us how to pray and how to worship him. So I love the precursor image. I think that's so spot on. It's it's not only a response. Sometimes in the same way that language isn't only a response to something that I saw, like I need to know what I saw first and, and what to call that before I can speak, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like creating the environment yeah. for an encounter. You know, we exactly. often talk about pre-evangelization. I mean, so opportunities like this is an is a space where the heart can start to be softened a bit Yeah. so that, you know, all that is true, all that is good, all that is beautiful can be planted inside our hearts. And, and Joseph, I loved what you were talking about. You know, we get to know the Lord deeper and deeper and deeper who he is and who we are in him. And I was thinking about in my own walk, and 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 I'm in a um, a much more mature, older, older. I'm just going to say I'm old, an older season in my life. You're going to live forever. So 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 the, but what happens? Like so, we were at the we were at the uh, some of the semifinals football games, and like it is magnetic when you're in a stadium. We were at State Farm Stadium, and it's such a rush. And at one point, I mean, I was animated as all get out. I'm sure my husband was mortified. But at one point, I found myself on my knees. And I went, oh, Lord, I'm on my knees. But I'm <laughs> praying for Michigan right now. Um, but you can see because what happens in worship, it involves the whole body. And there's a check sometimes in my spirit. Like if I'm at a concert, like a secular concert, which I haven't been to maybe three, four, five years ago, where as I'm enjoying the music, I almost find like, like my posture, like this is how I mm. worship the Lord, mm. but this isn't the Lord. I, does that make sense? I mean, I find Absolutely. myself like, like I can't, I'm not able to go to a concert anymore in the same way that I could go to a concert, you know, yeah. uh, 30 years ago. I'm not able to go to a football game or a basketball game, especially Final Four basketball game, and have, because I'm so aware that I have this bodily response that I think like I only really <laughs> physically experience when I'm worshiping him yeah. in praise. It's so similar. I'm going, oh, I feel like I shouldn't be doing this because this belongs to the Lord. Aaron's smiling. Like, just resonate with you, brother? Yeah, you're you're articulating something very, very curious and and fundamental to who we are as as human beings, right? That in in the presence of what is beautiful, we are naturally inclined to acknowledge it uh, for what it is, right? So, and and you've used two great examples there, Mary, of uh, a truly beautiful experience of human achievement on display, right? In in the sports arena, and that that brings you to a place actually of a of a emotional and a and a physical and even a, a spiritual connection. Right. And also excellence in, in music in a, in a secular environment mm-hmm. that it, it does, it elicits something in the, in the soul. Uh, this is, this is one of the challenges that we face. And this is really one of the reasons why we exist as, 
as Damascus worship, as a movement who's who's intimately invested in in honoring the Lord and also doing it with excellence. Why? Because so many times in our Catholic experience, the reason that we the reason that we hear words like what we're talking about on this podcast and mm-hmm. we just we just toss them off as as you know as insanity is because our experience of music and liturgy is often not excellent so uh, unfortunately you know whether it's whether it's a, a, a you know a beautiful polyphonic choir or whether it's the electric guitars and and drums of of Damascus worship like excellence does facilitate an encounter. Uh, but so oftentimes we haven't had that experience. Mm-hmm. So we know that so let's 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 bring this. So there's some people listening, but both priests as well as uh, lay folks who serve in, say, uh, music ministry or worship ministry. And yeah, you, you just kind of took the words out of my mouth. Like, so a beautiful encounter leads you to respond some way, and because so often this is not beautiful. It's actually counterproductive. So are there, from your experiences, I was going to ask, are there common pitfalls to avoid, but we could probably go on and on. Are there some simple things that we can do, say in a parish context, mm. that that just immediately enhance worship, regardless of the fact if we have people as gifted as you, that that people can begin to do that can make the whole experience more beautiful. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple that come to mind. First is is the disposition, because this can apply to everyone, the disposition of heart within the worshiper. Because we like, we even like to say, you know, we're not the you know, we're not the main worship leaders. You know, everyone, you know, all the people engaged with us, they're the worship leaders because nobody can lead their heart in worship the way we do or the way that they they can for themselves. And so I think being able to understand that, hey, you are a worship leader. Everyone listening to this is a worship leader because you have the responsibility to lead your own heart in worship before the Lord. And that can happen whether the band is incredible or they're not. There have been many times where I've been in a mass setting and I'm not, I'm just, you know, I'm in the, in the crowd and someone will be leading worship and I'm tempted to judge or tempted to disengage or tempted no. to... You know, I know, crazy. And it's like, I have to remind myself that, you know, they actually, worship is a sacrifice that I get to give. They don't make it for me. And so I get to choose in this moment to still bring an offering to the Lord, regardless of what the worship sounds like. And I think that's one of the things, because you get people complain, oh, I hated the song choice, or I hated the way they played that, or I hated this. Okay, like, yeah, we can always grow. But did you, like... your name wasn't mentioned in any of those songs. It wasn't about you, you know, it was about Jesus. And so did you give your heart to Jesus? And so that's like a really practical one that I always like to tell people um, because that can apply to everyone when it comes to, you know, growing your, your worship ministry within a parish or worship, you know, group or whatever. I think obviously, you know, we, we prioritize what's important to us. And if it's important for us to bring a beautiful offering, a beautiful gift to the Lord, that's going to be shown in our schedules. It's going to be shown in our practice. It's going to be shown in those times that um, there's so many opportunities out there to grow. You may be really naturally gifted or not, but um, you can totally actually take that time to really grow and invest and make it a priority um, to make it something that is important to you to lead people in. Um, and then 
I guess the, the final thing off the top of my head would just be purity of heart. Um, that even when we, there, there are some worship leaders that are even big in the worship world that in my opinion, don't have great voices. <laughs> um, they're, they're kind of all over the place. And yet you catch the purity of their heart in their worship, that there's something about their worship of the Lord that draws other people into that worship. And if you have a team of people that, you know, are able to, are able to pursue excellence, but also pursue authenticity at the same time. I think it's those two things of growing in excellence together, but also growing in authenticity that when you're up there leading, it's not just about trying to hit all the right notes or trying to make sure everyone's on the same page, but you're, you yourself are offering a gift to the Lord that goes so far in leading a congregation into right disposition of heart and praise of the Lord. So I think everyone lead your own heart and worship, regardless of what songs are happening or what band is happening. And then, yeah, as leaders pursue excellence and pursue authenticity. Have any of the three of you ever heard in a Catholic uh, context at mass, a preaching series on worship? Father, that's actually where I was going to go next. I, I, one of my most, one of my most impactful experiences of worship, it, it opened my eyes and that probably isn't the way that the priest who led this retreat would have, would have, uh, labeled it, but he had, uh, it was, it was a priest when I was in college, he had, he had the entire parish congregation stand and he said, we're going to start with a song. And he had us open the hymnals and turn to the Holy, Holy, Holy. And he, uh, he led through the invitation to, to prayer as I would with our sixth grade campers, right? As a, you know, the first time you go through, we were singing like a typical congregation does. And then he, he stopped us and he said, do you realize the words that you're saying? Like, let's, let's, let's look at this phrase and let's ask, do you believe this? If you believe this, make it a declaration. And, and, you know, inevitably in, in, in the course of five or six minutes, we had the, the entire church was just echoing with the, with the sounds of, of wholehearted and, and full voiced uh, declaration of this beautiful ancient hymn. Mm. And, uh, I have, I have always wanted that to happen in the context of liturgy because, you know, we grow where we emphasize where we have, uh, we have amazing, amazing gifted preachers. And I know here at our home parish, we're in the midst of uh, a series on, on the Eucharist and on, on welcoming into, into Catholicism. And why not? Why not father? That's, that's a great question. Have you either, have you ever heard one? No, but boy, if, if they did, would things change? You know, the heart of God's people yeah. would be so impacted by that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I've never, I mean, I preach in series all the time. I've never done something on worship. We've talked a lot about worship. We've done it outside of liturgy, but you know, just like you were saying, Joseph, about, you know, you prioritize what's important. And obviously mm -hmm. that guy did that, Aaron, at that uh, liturgy that you were at, but can you imagine setting aside three, four, man, here's a challenge to some of my brothers out there. So, you, you know, think well, about I, doing a three, four, five week series on worship. Yeah. And that's where I think what I've experienced is that most people are not actually opposed to worship. They just have no idea how to, how to yeah. engage with it. Yeah. So it's like you, you get to this, it's so easy to be tempted. You know, you're leading worship for a bunch of people and no one's engaging. And it's easy to then just assume none of them want to worship. It's like, no, they just haven't been taught. So when you can really teach them what is worship, why do we worship, and how does one enter into worship, mm -hmm. if someone understands those three things, and, and we'll do like, we've kind of learned the art of doing all that in five minutes. <laughs> so that we, we go and we do an event, we're like, all right, this is what worship is, this is why we do it, and this is how we can respond. 
and the difference before and after is is monumental and mm -hmm. and that's where i think when you can actually just teach it to people they're like oh that makes sense and it's something you maybe continually have to teach but even just letting them come to an awareness of those three things is is a game changer you know we we talk about in our ministry you guys about the the primacy of an encounter with the with the gospel yeah. the life-changing news of the gospel. And so you're talking about an encounter and then nothing makes sense. And then people encounter the Lord and then all of a sudden the mass is starting to make sense. It's it's intelligible. This creates an opportunity for yeah. that, whether you're singing a traditional Catholic hymn or if it's like something like Amazing Grace and you're moved to tears and God's doing something, the Spirit is doing something deep in your heart. That could be, that could be, um, an opportunity to create an encounter with Jesus Christ right there just in that series. So anybody who's going to go preach a series on worship, please send it to us because we will disseminate it far and wide because <laughs> uh, I am dying to get somebody to yeah. do something like this. And I, I love it. I, you know, I, I, I want to be sensitive to, to your time. You guys are so generous with us. I, I know Mary, she and I, we talk about this a lot. She and I and Albert, there's some sensitivity in the rescue project in a particular way around some things. You want to ask a, a common question that we get simply yeah. because there aren't exactly a, a plethora of great worship leaders in the Catholic Church. Yeah, so our conversation has been all geared around what worship is and the impact that it has. And so the the rescue project very intentionally wants to work worship into that experience because we know the impact that it can have. But the challenge oftentimes, whether it's, you know, a community, whether it's uh, maybe even in your home, but in a particular place like a parish, what do you do when you don't have... Joseph and Aaron. Well, Joseph <laughs> and Aaron or, or, or even just the staff. Because, you know, the average parish, we're told right now, has the average of like something like 2.5 staff people right and for some people it's not a priority and so what do you do if you if you want to bring the rescue project to a parish and you want to integrate worship and you don't have the means by which to do it how do you how do you navigate that hmm. that's a great question i i've seen a lot of uh i, I think you've got to operate from a place of humility right that there are so many resources that are available that someone can grow but you've got to have someone who's willing to grow uh you know even even our team um here at here at damascus we we're, we're trying to create a, a good funnel so that we can solve those problems for you permanently as we as we bring up campers and then missionaries to to come into the system who who gain an experience leading in in worship and and we try to teach intentionally but even even our crew we we will go out of our way intentionally to participate in other, you know, trainings and uh, retreats and conferences so that we can be challenged and that we can grow. And I'd say if, if somebody, if there's somebody in your parish who has a passion to lead, who has a passion to, uh, to, to lead a congregation in music and worship, um, invest in that person and help to connect them with resources where they can, where they can be trained, where they can be stretched. I mean, Aaron is a perfect example of this. Uh, early camp days, um, we were lacking worship leaders and then they brought in some other group and then that didn't go so well. So Aaron's like, that's it. I'm going to lead worship. And yeah. so that's how Aaron started of just, it was something that mattered. 
enough to mm. him and he and he went with it. I think there are so many opportunities um, if you find them because again, worship doesn't have to be, um, and oftentimes it's good when it's not a big production. It's just a simple thing. You know, my, my dad led us in worship for years um, at growing up. He would pull out a guitar probably two, three times a week and we'd sing the same songs over and over. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the worst ever. The Why guitar is, is coming out again. And I was like, dad's singing again. It's the worst. <laughs> but he had a heart and it, it really is not that complicated to learn a couple chords and to um, sing some songs. And I experienced that as a kid and I'm grateful for it now, you know. Um, and he's my dad's never going to be on any stage leading worship. I can guarantee that. But he led us in worship and that was that's what was important. And so I think it's, it really is easy to, um, if, if you devote the time to it, it, um, you can make it work. And then even, you know, in the meantime, if you have someone who's, who is, um, trying to learn, but not quite there yet, you know, it, it might be a little awkward at first, but turn on, I've seen many people just turn on, you know, get a speaker and turn on a playlist of worship music and everybody gets to, to worship to that. I've even done that before. And, and, you know, there are mornings where part of my morning prayer will be turning on worship and just worshiping alongside it and singing out. And so, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think it's an uncomfortable thing if to the degree you allow it to remain an uncomfortable thing, yeah. but when you begin to, um, just kind of like break the ice with it and, you know, it might be weird the first time, the second time, the third time, but eventually it becomes something that you, you is normalized and, um, is an opportunity just to, to grow people, but also to encounter the Lord in a new way. I love the story of your dad because, because um, you know, what he was doing there was he was teaching you this matters. Like this is worth doing. Yeah. You know, and you learned that, like, you know, no, no one, no one impacts you the way your parents do. And so your, your dad's just modeling for you. It's, it's like, like we say in the liturgy, it is right and just that we do this. And so, you know, I'm thinking of the rescue project and, um, someone, you know, they're going to a church or they're going to some home. And of course, out of expediency, they might be thinking, well, why would we do this for, why would we, why would we sing a couple of songs first to worship God? Why don't we just move on and get on with the talk and the night? Well, because it's appropriate <laughs> that we would worship God first. And that may not be familiar to you yet, but hopefully it will become especially as we go along and we learn what it is that Jesus has done for us. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I too was very edified by the story of your dad. So dad's out there listening. I mean, one of the, one of the tasks of parents is to help cultivate and grow the gifts of our children Yeah. Um, and, and to press into the supernatural gifts, but to grow their natural gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's something out there for dads. But I was just thinking as I'm listening to you speak that the Lord is so pleased by our efforts and our desires. I'm thinking about, uh, I'm just imagining the father in heaven looking down and smiling that my children are giving it a go. Yeah. And and I, I also, hope so. And I also think, <laughs> but I'm talking about in terms of worship, right? And I hope so. <laughs> I'm thinking too about, you know, when you're learning to pray with people, you're, you're, you're learning prayer ministry and you're learning to come alongside people and pray with people, or you're just learning to pray out loud with someone. Yeah. Like that's pretty awkward too. Mm. But you learn how to do it. You 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 learn by doing. And I think that those meager initial efforts just can't help but please our Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. So I so I think at the end of the day, 
you just do it. I came across a great line the other day and I was praying with it. And sometimes people are inhibited to pray with people because they're afraid or they're inhibited to press into ministry because they're afraid or they're scared to pick up a guitar and learn a few chords. And um, in fact, the Lord just said, do it afraid then. Mm-hmm. Do it anyway. Do it afraid. Because I think he's just going to be rejoicing watching his children try to lead people into a deeper encounter with his son. Yeah. You, 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 we began this conversation with you talking about what's going on in, in Damascus and, and, you know, introducing kids. I forget exactly how you said it, but I love the word adventure. So introducing our younger brothers and sisters into the adventure that is life in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I, one of the things that hits me is, and you know, we just try to bring this to a close is I'll bet more than a few people are going you know what? I think I got a lot of things I can add to my life as a disciple that I'm not doing, which is it, which is awesome, right? It's like I think I'm kind of shortchanging the Lord and myself because I'm settling for amen for not mediocrity necessarily, although some of us can at times, but I'm settling for kind of like the status quo when there's richness of life that's being offered to me with regards to to, to growing in knowledge, to responding to the Lord in worship, to all sorts of dimensions of the Christian life. That, that, that's what's just really impressing itself upon me right now. I mean, there is nothing that compares with walking with Jesus. I mean, there is nothing. Yeah. You want an adventure? Like, sign your life away and say, I'm all yours. Let's go. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'm in the most worthwhile adventure. You guys, thank you so much for being with us today. It's just a joy. And um, we hold you guys in prayer. We thank God as I'm looking at the both of you. I'm thinking, Lord, just spiritually multiply Aaron and Joseph right now in the church. And we know that's what you guys are doing. Uh, The Lord is doing through you. So keep on doing what you're doing. We love you both greatly. We're looking forward to partnering with you again uh, soon. We got a couple of things on our dockets that we want to reach out to you about. And uh, I think a lot of people are, we, we just got off the phone with the diocese and they said, oh yeah, we were just talking to... Just talking to you guys, I'm thinking we're talking to them in about a half hour. So we we know that you guys are spread pretty thin and we just thank you for your yes. And you'll be hearing from us again. Sure. Yeah. God bless you both. In the meantime, everybody, do not be afraid. The King who is worthy of all our praise and thanksgiving and worship is with you. And you were born for this. 